Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. So remember when we spoke about Tiffany's? There was a tweet, I think, in April by a vice president at Tiffany's. He showed his crypto punk all bedazzled and bejeweled. And everyone was like, is this a thing that could become real? And it is. So <laughs> Tiffany's has unveiled their $50,000 crypto punk necklaces. The collection is exclusively available to owners of CryptoPunks to purchase and is limited to 250 editions. Each necklace has a combination of 30 diamonds and gemstones. So the way this works is if you already have a CryptoPunk, you purchase an NFT that is worth about $50,000 and that's redeemable for this Tiffany's pendant. Zach, Wow, tell real me. utility I know you and, and luxury. Have... I want one. I don't have a CryptoPunk. These are sweet. These high-end things that come in the, the Tiffany blue, Tiffany green, whatever that color is, in the box with the diamonds Tiffany and the blue. gold. This is amazing. I want one of these. I don't know. There's only 250 of them. <laughs> this is the high end of the NFT market versus what we just talked about with one of, right? We're just sort of more, again, that, that low end, that mass adoption thing, right? So that NFTs can encompass both these extremes in two stories here on the hash, I think is really interesting to me. But this is like high end consumer engagement. If you have it in your wallet, you have access to this additional thing that you can buy from Tiffany's. Tiffany's is, is probably pretty stoked. And I mean, they look cool. So yeah. Go for it. Go for it, CryptoPunk holders. Get that Tiffany's. Let's do it. I think, Wendy, before we pass it off to you, I think this is really interesting because that NFT that is attached to your necklace that you can see on, on the screen there can be sold and traded and royalties always go back to Tiffany's. So we're introducing mm. a new business model to this traditional luxury brand that I think will be really interesting to see how that plays out. So if they sell out all of these CryptoPunk necklaces, that's twelve. That's a $12 million net for them. And then if people start selling their necklaces because, hey, they don't want these anymore, or they want to sell those, those NFTs, royalties for Tiffany. So I think that's pretty interesting. Wendy? So I've got a couple things to talk about this. So my aunt, when she worked in traditional finance, like way back when in the 40s and 50s, and she worked for Chemical Bank for about 25 years before they forced her to retire because she got old. Um, but one of the things they gave her, they gave her a Tiffany's watch for 25 years of service. And that watch is still in my family because it's a really, really big deal. 
a brand like Tiffany's getting involved with NFTs, getting involved with the punks, and then creating these custom pieces, I think is absolutely amazing. Because let's face it, if you have a piece of Tiffany's jewelry, are you really going to sell it for the most part? Are you going to hand it down to your family members? Me personally, I've got a bunch of Tiffany's jewelry when I was like 18, 19 years old, whatever, all that funny little silver stuff. I still have it. I'm going to pass it down to my daughter because it is Tiffany's. And I think because you actually have the Tiffany's name behind this, it might be a cool thing to kind of pass down to your kids. And I do see a lot of specific NFT holders that will get custom jewelry for their NFT that they have, whether it's a punk, whether it's an ape, et cetera. So I think this is a brilliant idea and it's a great brand recognition for Tiffany's. Zach? Guys, I just did some Googling. I was like, Tiffany's parent company and it's Louis Vuitton, L-V-M-H. And they are actually pretty smart about Web3. They have a venture arm that just brought on a former crypto VC person of prominence. Uh, they've done a couple of experiments in the past around crypto and Web3. So credit to whoever has their ear in terms of advising their crypto adventures, because I think this one makes a lot of sense, is interesting, is NFT utility, right? It's kind of weird to think of it as NFT utility, but that's what this is. They know in which wallets these punks reside. They're able to make you know, those keys available to them should those wallets want to purchase these additional tchotchkes. And I think that's a great additional business model that they're rolling into the fold, right? In the luxury brand space, we've seen all sorts of big luxury watchmakers, jewelry makers start to dabble in crypto. And I think it's really interesting to see that, again, at the forefront of sort of that cultural push is some of these big brands, the Gucci's, the LVMH, the Breitling's doing NFT watch verification, all sorts of stuff that's being toyed with here in the upper echelons of NFT utility. Interesting to me. I like that it's called NFTF. NF it's cute plan words. Yeah. I like it. I know. LVMH, come on. Really great with the marketing. They also teamed up, Zach, I don't know if you remember, with Beeple for that uh, game they launched where you could go off and learn about Louis Vuitton history and collect NFTs. So yeah, I think LVMH is, is doing it right. Tuesday's top story. So apparently, you guys, something very tragic happened, but Nomad's $190 million bridge exploit drew hacking feeding frenzy of approximately 300 addresses. And that's a lot of money to be drained, especially in the type of market that we're seeing. So basically, it is a cross-chain token bridge, and it was drained of almost all of its funds. And it was basically due to one of Nomad's smart contract recent updates that allowed spoofs so users can drain funds that didn't belong to them. And of course, the team informed law enforcement. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because considering the type of market they're in, I feel like we need to question everything. There's going to be a lot of projects who have exploits, a lot of projects that get hacked, a lot of projects that are going to be dumping their tokens, exit liquidity, et cetera. So I wanted to talk about it to kind of just remind everybody, consider taking profit on stuff that you maybe haven't taken profit on. Be careful what type of protocols you're using. Be weary anytime they're upgrading, they're doing something, they're changing the tokenomics, possibly changing the code. And sometimes you may have to consider cutting your losses because again, you guys, we are in a crypto bear market. Let me go ahead and toss this to Jen for your thoughts. All right, I will take it. So cross-chain bridges are really interesting, right? They are important for interoperability, but they're really vulnerable. And we saw in January, I think it was, Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin speak out on them. Like he is not for a cross-chain future, but he's for a multi-chain future. And I'm just going to read his tweet because he does a pretty good job at explaining what's explained in the story. 
So he said, now imagine what happens if you move 100 ETH onto a bridge on Solana to get 100 Solana wrapped ETH. And then Ethereum gets 51% attacked. The attacker deposited a bunch of their own ETH into Solana wrapped ETH and then reverted that transaction on the Ethereum side as soon as the Solana side confirmed it. The Solana wrapped ETH contract, well, this is long, but stick with me, guys, is now no longer fully backed. And perhaps your 100 Solana wrapped ETH is now only worth 60. Even if there's a perfect ZK snark based bridge that fully validates consensus, it's still vulnerable to theft through attacks like this. The problem gets worse when you go beyond two chains. If there are 100 chains, then there will end up being dApps with many interdependencies between those chains and 51% attacking even one chain would create a systemic contagion. So he went off in January on Twitter talking about this because we see these cross-chain bridge attacks so often. I think during this Biddle season, we will see startups pop up that are trying to solve the issues around cross-chain bridges. But right now, I think it's just inevitable that they are vulnerable given the way that they interact with smart contracts. Zach, take it away. Yeah, I think people are going to start really reassessing approaches to interchain interoperability because the cross-chain bridge model just keeps crumbling, right? It's not really a bridge, right? It's not really an appropriate metaphor, right? It's a bridge, but the funds are like stuck on the bridge and it's like a rickety bridge. And if a hacker comes along and chops down like one of the poles holding up the bridge, they get all the funds, right? So that is like a design flaw in terms of how you get money from one chain to the other to seize on new opportunities. So I think that builders in the space are becoming increasingly cognizant of this, and there are going to be new approaches to interoperability that are more secure. When you do these cross-chain bridge things, it just adds all these layers of complexity. And what we saw here was an update that just laid bare the steal me button. And like 300 people saw the steal me button and they're like, okay, I'm going to steal me some crypto. And that's what happened here. (laughs) It wasn't just one attacker. It was like a feeding frenzy. It was like sharks just rushing on like chum in the ocean and taking all of this money. And that is what happens. That's why you see that sad chart with the sad bears pointing at the cliff of money falling off all the way to zero, roughly $200 million out the door. According to some reporting, some of the folks taking the money were white hat hackers who are expected to return some of the funds. But it was a bit of a group attack here on the Nomad Project. Really crazy one to see. But yeah, never a dull day in crypto. I think I'm going to toss it back to Wendy for her thoughts. One of the things I want to say is I'm just curious, like when they do these types of updates, like I'm just, my mind is just trying to process like, are they, is it somebody in the team that's possibly pushing these updates through that make these more vulnerable or they're just unaware of what they're creating? But either way, I think it's very important, especially when we're dealing with bridges, anytime to note that you're adding an additional layer on top of something, it doesn't become as safe. It's not as stable. So just be careful anytime you're interested in like investing in this type of stuff, please place these types of projects or consider placing them in like your risky basket. Like, okay, I'm going to put maybe 0.05% of my portfolio or 1% of my portfolio in here. And just understand when you do put your money into this stuff, it's all in beta. It is literally all in beta. Most of these DeFi projects, cross-chain things, these you know multiple layers that you can add on top of different projects, it's all in beta. So essentially you're putting your money into something and you're hoping that it hits big but I would probably bet that it's going to either get hacked, exploited, or go to zero. Yeah, I'm just curious to see what the next generation bridge is, right? Because I mean, they're super useful to users, right? Like, hey, I got mm-hmm. money on Ethereum and I want to put it on Solana. Or like, hey, I want to get into Cosmos. Like, That's a useful function that many people in the space rely on. But we've seen time and time again that they introduce these 
flaws where things get hacked and money goes away and it's bad and people are sad. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what that next generation of bridging technology looks like or if there's a new set of solutions out there that avoid some of the pitfalls that we've seen now for the third, fourth, fifth time when it comes to cross-chain bridge exploits. Wednesday's top story. Moving over to Robinhood, which is another embattled tech platform out there. According to a new report, they're laying off 23% of their workforce, about 780 people from the firm. This comes after first round of layoffs a few weeks ago, about 11% of their staff. Yesterday, we got a look into their revenues, actually doing pretty well, up a few percentage points, uh, but down across most products, minus crypto, which saw a 7% increase. The stock hood itself is down 70% year to date, uh, or actually since it launched, pretty rough from a public market perspective. And it's just been doing pretty poorly in general after facing a lot of accusations in the GameStop thread and then uh, some other accusations against the CEO over the last year. This is a pretty embroiled firm that we've seen. They have a product market fit, right? They, they're firmly within the grasp and understanding that people want to be able to use crypto. But they want to be able to use stocks and trade it on the fly. Zach, I want to throw this one down to you, get your take on it. The interesting thing to me that I did not see in any of this was the rumors a few weeks ago about FTX potentially scooping up more of Robinhood. Of course, they have about 11% stake in the company through SBF's investment. Yeah, I thought the thing that said to me was the letter from CEO Vlad Tenev basically saying, quote, it's on me, right? Made some strategic miscalculations about this market continuing to be pretty frothy and hired accordingly, right? And this is a story that we saw play out with Coinbase as well when they onboarded more and more staff to accommodate sort of bull market demand. All of a sudden, you know, the landscape has shifted dramatically. And these companies that have been scaling up during the heady days of 2021 are now in this new macroeconomic reality where cuts such as this, drastic cuts such as this, have to happen. So again, this is human people losing their jobs. Their futures are a little bit up in the air right now. Definitely thinking of them. But strategically, I think the things that we've been seeing play out across crypto firms are also affecting those that have a footprint in the world of traditional finance, in addition to crypto, in Robinhood's case. But yeah, these are pretty, pretty big cuts for Robinhood to be announcing. And a pretty candid letter from the CEO saying, hey, my bad, guys, you know, we miscalculated here. Going to be interesting to see if they can sort of reclaim some ground and footing. Uh, Will, to your point, you know, definitely a few black guys uh, for Robinhood in the last 12 to 18 months. Jen, tossing you. Yeah, I think the letter was great. I think it's great that the CEO took ownership here. I think what's important to remember when you're a part of layoffs of this size is that communication is so important. And it's not only the people who have been laid off that are affected, it's the employees that remain, right? I think at a lot of these companies, you hear stories from within about people walking on eggshells. They're not sure if they're going to get laid off next. They're not sure if they have job security. And I think it's really important if you have to have layoffs to this magnitude to really communicate to your employees, to really ensure that the employees that remain have what they need to continue to do a good job. Because I think what we're seeing is these mass layoffs happen people aren't sure about leadership, they aren't sure about the strategic future, then people start leaving that job and the company finds itself in a position where they don't have employees left to do the jobs that remain. And it's just a more dire situation. So I think internal communications is so, so, so important. I heard a story about a company in the space that did layoffs, I think two or three weeks ago, they told everyone, this is the last round of layoffs, everyone can breathe. And then a week later, there was another round of layoffs. 
So take care of the people who are there, communicate, and try to learn from your mistakes. Wendy? I just want to know like what departments they were cutting in. Because let's face it, a lot of people are still at home. They're still trading. They're interested in crypto. They're interested in stocks. Like Because we have such a grasp on social media, people are using that type of information that's being put out to trade. So I'm not understanding exactly why they did this, like what, what departments they, or, or what type of people from the departments they laid off and why they did it. I've, obviously, like profit is most important. But, but at the same time, if you're going to have a company like Robinhood that is creating a service, don't you want to make sure that it works well? Because let's face it, if you let people go, the morale of the company goes down. People that are already there are kind of like, eh, they don't know if they want to do their job or not. And they're not going to be performing as well because they're kind of walking on eggshells then you're going to be pushing products out or the type of service that you're providing, the quality is going to go down. So I don't know why customers would continue to want to use a platform that could ex- potentially experience it. Also too, I do think that FTX US will probably absorb Robinhood in some aspect in the near future because it just seems they're like there's a lot of sketchy behavior happening behind closed doors with Robinhood. I mean, who even really knows what's happening? It's fair. I want to go back to what Vlad Tanov was saying here in the investor or the note to the company. It's interesting that he would go out and say, like, we thought that this market would continue to have strength when crypto itself is known to have these bull and bust cycles. And then the stock market itself has really been trading all upwards for like 10 years or so. But it's like been very weak the last two to three years. And a lot of people have been predicting that there's going to be some sort of crisis. So the fact that he put that forward as like the thesis for the company. And then now a lot of people have getting laid off from that is pretty unfortunate just to be stark with it. Obviously that happens. And when you're a CEO, you have to make decisions based on the tea leaves in front of you. Uh, but to see like a 23% reduction in the staff, just because you didn't hedge your firm correctly, that's pretty tough. And like you said, Zach, th- those are people's lives and those are people's jobs that are just gone now. And we'll see what happens. And this follows up with a lot of tech layoffs, right? We've seen, I think, well over 100,000 is what I've seen, like tech layoffs over the last uh, six, seven months or so. Uh, Just because that entire market is cooling off. Uh, It's a very risky sector. And a lot of people are pulling money out from these tech stocks. They're pulling out money from these tech investments. People are not purchasing them as much. And that's just going to be something that I think continues. Robinhood is almost just like capping that off, right? It's really becoming more drastic than it has been over the last few months. Thursday's top story. Let's get diagonal with it, everybody. All right, we're talking about Coinbase and BlackRock. This is a pretty big one, actually, when it comes to the institutional crypto narrative. Coinbase has landed BlackRock as a customer. BlackRock is going to offer its clients access to Bitcoin right through Coinbase Prime. So this is actually quite interesting. We've obviously been hearing a lot of news out of BlackRock over the past year or so. There was a nice Ian Allison scoop earlier this year about something potentially along these lines coming to pass. We've seen Larry Fink, the BlackRock CEO, saying that client demand has made them take crypto a bit more seriously. And now we are seeing that they have gone Coinbase to make it all happen. Now, meanwhile, Coin is pumping on the news. Coin stock up significantly. Still a lot of juice in the institutional crypto narrative. Will, tossing it to you for your thoughts. What do you think? BlackRock enters the chat. I wish this would have happened a few months ago. This would have added to the entire momentum we saw with the Bitcoin bull market. And now it's like, eh, we're in a bear market. No one cares anymore. Everyone's washed out. People are 
frustrated because their tokens are on Celsius or on Voyager and they can't get them off and no one really cares about this. This is a huge deal though. This is up there with other news like Fidelity adding Bitcoin to their 401k. This is up there with MicroStrategy adding Bitcoin to their treasury. This is up there with any sort of announcement. The fact that this asset manager with $9 trillion, $9 trillion of assets under management is getting into this game is phenomenal and huge. Another point that I want to add on to this is it's funny that Coinbase is pumping right now, right after a bunch of people dumped on them, right? Uh, Kathy Wood's ARK Invest Fund just dumped this is my a favorite bunch part of Coinbase story. stock. Basically at the bottom, right? They dumped right at the bottom and now it's up only, right? So hilarious to see that happen. Last point on this is BlackRock getting involved is just perfect for the um, black helicopter Bitcoin maximals out there who hate Coinbase and they hate BlackRock. This just fits so well with their narrative that Coinbase is against Bitcoin and that BlackRock is out to get everybody. So it's sort of like a perfect merge of so many different conversations. I really love this headline. Uh, David, I'm going to throw it up to you though. Yeah, I agree with Will almost entirely. This is definitely big. I mean, it's a little bit tempting to act as if this was inevitable, that there would be some kind of connection like this at scale. Obviously, BlackRock is uniquely huge. And so who knows what will happen? The one sort of caveat here, which is just a question mark for me, I don't have answers. It's important to keep in mind that the fact that there is infrastructure here for these trades doesn't change certain regulatory obligations that many of BlackRock's clients will have that still will block them from, let's say, investing a pension fund into Bitcoin or something like that. We don't know entirely how that's going to play out, but it's important for people to keep in mind that this doesn't mean $9 trillion is immediately free to you know, go 1% into crypto or, or whatever. This is the technical infrastructure. That's not the same thing as opening up the regulatory floodgates. So things like ETFs are still going to have their place. This doesn't eliminate all those roadblocks. I saw Jen. Yeah, I'm just going to ride Will's excitement. When BlackRock announced that they were looking at different ways to offer digital assets to their clients a few months ago, I said the same thing. But since then, the market has gotten worse. We've had the Terra Luna contagion and catastrophe. And the fact that this is still moving forward and that institutional investors are still looking for ways to get their toes wet when it comes to digital assets is really, really exciting. And I think it's very bullish news in a bear market. So I'm just ride in that positivity mm -hmm. wave. I think I agree with Jen more than Will. I think the timing on this is better than it would have been if it had happened three or four months ago. Because yeah, like you don't institutions can be slow, but they <laughs> mean it when they make a decision, I guess. You know, and plus, I, if you look at it through the lens of BlackRock responding to client demand, potentially some pretty savvy clients, some of these mm -hmm. clients may see this as a buying opportunity, not to be the Bitcoin hope guy, but hey, buy low, sell high, bedrock wow. of what these folks are thinking. <laughs> so, that was so good. That was so good. All right. That was <laughs> like the opium pep, Someone the pep that. meme. Oh, opium, like the Wojak. <laughs> like okay, anyway. All right, let's change gears. Who's got the next yeah. story? What are, we what are we talking about next? I got Take you. it away. I got you. Okay, we're going back to Robinhood. We talked about Robinhood yesterday with their note from the CEO. They laid off 23% of their workforce, which is pretty startling, about 700 plus people. But now they're stepping back and clapping back at the market saying, no, we are not going to be bought out by anybody. We actually have a lot of dough to go make some M&A purchases ourselves. Vlad Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood itself, said that, I love a standalone company. To have noted that Robinhood has about $6 billion of cash that can be used for acquisitions. And the company sees opportunities in the current environment to make acquisitions. 
In April, Robinhood said it was buying UK crypto platform Ziglu. $6 billion is a lot of money. It's a lot of money to go out there. Their market cap is actually around $9 billion. So if you look at it, like they're in a very healthy position, which makes me wonder about the layoffs yesterday that they said they can go make an M&A purchase after doing these layoffs. But you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Jen, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It feels almost insensitive to say like, hey, we have $6 billion to do whatever we want with after laying off 23% of the labor force. I understand there are different buckets of money that are for different business functions, but I can only imagine employees who didn't get laid off sitting there And like Joe and Mary from their team no longer have a job. And they're hearing this communications from their CEO in public saying, we got all this money. We're not worried about anyone coming and taking over the company. Feels insensitive. And it makes me question and wonder about the internal communications that are happening at Robinhood. But David, I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, it's not Robinhood that's out of order. The whole damn system is out of order. Like the reason you cut jobs at this moment is because you're not getting organic growth and and you're not going to for a while. I wouldn't read this as any particular problem with Robinhood. They're deciding that they're not going to be able to grow on their own terms for a little while. So they're going out and doing acquisitions to grow their customer base based on work that other people have already done because they do have cash. So, I mean, obviously it's not great and it would have been better if they had had more runway to, I mean, you essentially hire people for where you want to be six months from now. And so, you know, they, they, similar to Coinbase, they got out over their skis in terms of their growth trajectory. And, you know, this makes sense operationally, even if it feels really bad for the people who got cut or had friends get cut. But my only it's comment would just be... David. The messaging. Well, the messaging is what it is. Way. But <laughs> even there, though, I will, I will continue to say that, like, the messaging is for stockholders and for Wall Street. It's not for customers or honestly, even employees. They're trying to look good for the stock market more than anything. And that's their goal here. Zach, you're nodding along. Nodding along. I mean, you know, we got, we have Vlad. We got uh, an emerging tech CEO that can either be lionized or villainized. And, you know, the tech press loves doing that. But I think to the broader point about messaging, this does not look good. You just laid off a lot of people and you're like, hey, no, we're good. We can acquire. We're healthy. We're, I love us as a standalone company. We just axed a quarter of the company, but I still love us. The three quarters that are left, love us as a standalone company. We got plenty of money. That does sound not great. But Will, you probably have something smarter to say. So I'm tossing it down to you. Maybe. No, I just like what David said. So I'm going to riff on it a little bit more. I think when you look at it from a larger perspective, it is about Wall Street, right? You had to lay off these employees, but to Wall Street, that might even be a good signal that you're willing to make those tough conversations happen and willing to lay off those folk just to make your company more efficient. And then on top of that, defending yourself and being like, hey, no, we're not open to be acquired. We are a functioning business. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to do what we can in this macro environment and deal with the stresses we have. That's a good signal to Wall Street. Uh, it's a good signal mm-hmm. to anyone who wants to go buy that stock out there, whether retail or institutional, and be like, this company has strong leadership. They're willing to make the tough choices and plow ahead. I was a former employee at Robinhood. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed. But that's just the way mm-hmm. that capitalism works in a lot of senses. So that's how it is. Friday's top story. Here today on Friday, August 5th. I am starting us off. We had a funny little story that's developing. And it's kind of just taken a weird little plot twist. We heard this morning that Wazer X, which has long been known to be Binance owned, had its assets frozen by Indian regulators. But plot twist... 
Binance CEO CZ takes to Twitter later today, just before airtime, to say, hey, guess what? We don't own WazerX, even though we published a blog post way back in 2019 saying that we bought it. Apparently, that deal never closed, and the misunderstanding has endured ever since. So a couple of funny things here. We can discuss them both. I'm going to toss it to Will for his initial thoughts on this WazerX situation. Yeah, I'll talk first about WazerX, which is a pretty well-known exchange, especially for India, which has a blossoming crypto scene itself. WazerX is probably like the number one exchange I hear about the most. I'm sure there's others as well. The reason this came to light, right, is because government officials in India are looking into money laundering, which is a very common concern for cryptocurrency exchanges. We see this all the time. Uh, when we're looking at the actual money, it's about $8 million worth of money laundering uh, from a microloan platform that was then using X to facilitate moving money in and out of crypto so they could get that money, clean it up, and use it for whatever illicit purposes. At least that's the uh, alleged statements right now from the government officials in India. Why does this matter? Well, with the Binance tie here, Binance has always been within the regulatory spotlight, right? They've jumped from jurisdiction to jurisdiction over the last few years. They're the, large, the largest exchange uh, in the world for crypto. And uh, they have ties to so many different projects that it's really important whenever their name comes up, because I think that they're often uh, the face that government officials are trying to put their boot on top of. Uh, here, it seems that they're distancing themselves from it. It's really interesting that Binance said that they were involved with this. And then you know three years later, they walk it back. And they walk it back at this moment and not in previous moments, right? There's been a lot of positive headlines for WazirX over the last few years. And the fact that they're walking this back over a money laundering charge that's going on right now is really interesting. Jenna, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. Yeah, on the regulation front, I know when India announced that they were looking at more strict regulations on crypto, we said, you know, this could be a good thing because at least there is some clarity. But it sounds like regulators in India are coming down really hard on exchanges. And so I would love to hear more information on what's happening here. I was casting for a show that's focused on Bitcoin recently, and I was speaking to a young man in Canada who'd immigrated from India. And he said one of the main reasons that he immigrated is because of the heavy regulation on crypto and the kind of mess with the financial system and corrupt government. And so I am interested to hear more about what regulators are doing in India when it comes to the exchanges. On another note, the CZ tweets are kind of funny to read. One of them said, we've been trying to conclude the deal for the past few years, but it hasn't. A few issues in quotation marks, not easy to disclose. I mean, this blog post was published in 2019. And I would think that if you're having issues and you can't close this deal, you know, three years later, there should be an update to that blog post or some kind of communication. So something feels a little bit off here. But then CZ goes on to kind of appease to the regulators because we know that Binance hasn't had the easiest time with global regulators, he says, recent allegations about the operations of Wazir X and how the platform is managed are of deep concern to Binance. Binance collaborates with law enforcement agencies all around the world, and we would be happy to work with EB in any way possible. So I think CZ is just taking this opportunity to tell regulators, we play nice and we are not involved in this in any way, although it sounds like maybe they were involved just a little bit. Zach, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, um, as a solution provider on the wallet end. So clearly something going on here. It's pretty weird. But yeah, the bigger picture here is that India remains an enigma when it comes to crypto regulation and their enforcement efforts. So the fact that Wazirx, which remains a very prominent company, as Will mentioned, in the Indian crypto scene is facing these troubles as it relates to local compliance, not a good sign 
for the Indian crypto scene more broadly. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.